Hello everyone, welcome to Next Generation Saints. I'm your host, Nick Coons. So, before we get started today, I would like to go ahead and have a little word from our sponsor. Hello everyone, welcome back to Next Generation Saints. Again, I'm your host, Nick Coons. So, today's going to be a Give Me an Answer special with Pastor Cliff Connectly. They're going to be, uh, Cliff and his son Stuart are actually over back at the college campuses. And the main conversation that they're going to be having is God loved the world in this way that he sent his only son to die for us. So I really hope you guys really enjoy this. Um, before we really jump and get started into this episode, I want to remind everyone to go ahead and like and subscribe to this podcast, wherever you may be listening to podcasts. I'm on all major net, uh, platforms. It gets into the algorithm and really helps us uh, get the message out there. So I want to encourage everyone to go ahead again, like, and subscribe. Also, I do have a merch shop, um, Coons T-shirts on Etsy. I'll go ahead and put it in the description below. So, without further ado, please enjoy. Give me an answer. All right, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul writes, Love is patient. Patience is love under pressure. Patience is love that keeps on going even when the reasons to keep going are few in number. Then Paul writes, love is kind. Kindness is love in small things. Kindness is concern about another person so that you want to serve them and you want to meet their needs. Then he writes, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy. Envy is horrible. Because envy is a statement, I am so insecure that I want what you have so badly that I resent what you have. And I want it for myself. And that separates us. It separates us from being friends. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. What is boasting? Boasting is saying, I am valuable and here are the reasons why. And I'm boasting about myself. Christ says no. You're not valuable because you can list your resume. You're valuable because God created you in his image, because God loves you, and God has given you gifts. That's why you're valuable. And then Paul writes, love is not self-seeking. And you and I live in a culture that's all about self-promotion, stand up for myself, love myself. And Paul writes, wait a second, real love is not self-seeking, Real love seeks the well-being of the other person. Now, Jesus Christ lived out that kind of love, built those kind of relationships. And I don't think you have to be the child of a divorced couple to know how important love really is to your life and to my life. So one of the reasons I believe that God exists is because love is not just a biochemical reaction. Love is not just a sex drive. Love is not just a drive to preserve the genetic pool. Love is this innate ability that you and I have as human beings to freely choose to care for somebody else. That's one of the reasons I'm convinced God exists. Love is a piece of evidence that there's more to reality than matter and energy. There's some type of personal being who created us as persons, not as robots, not as machines. One of the reasons I believe in Jesus Christ is because of his analysis of you and me. 
Jesus and the Bible insist you have amazing glory, greatness, because you're created in the image of God. You and I also are wretched because of instead of reflecting God accurately, we have chosen to pervert life, twist it. Hatred of people would be an example. God gave me a free will. I don't have to love you. Hatred is a decision to not love you and to detest you, to minimize you, to step on you, to degrade you. That is evil. And what if the people who are doing these evil things claim themselves to be uh, people of God, people who are spreading the word of God? Right. What does that have to say about uh, religion itself, theology, getting close to God, if the people who consider themselves people of God speak this hatred? Do you think 9-11 tells you anything about Islam? But there are a lot of bigots who say to me, all I need to know about Islam is 9-11. That is narrow-minded bigotry. If I'm going to learn about Islam, I've got to go to the source document, the Quran. I've got to read the Quran, and I've got to figure out, does the evidence point to Muhammad being a reliable source of information about God, or does it not? The same thing with Jesus Christ. The Crusades, the Inquisition, and the Salem Witch Trials tell me nothing about Jesus Christ. In order to learn about Christ, I got to go to the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I got to read about how did Jesus treat people, what did he teach, how did he die, and did he rise from the dead or not? What's to say that any other holy book isn't the correct one comparatively to Christianity, seeing as how Christianity came after other holy books? Something is not true because it claims to be a holy book. <clears throat> and because the Vedas and Upanishads, the teachings of Siddhartha Gautama Buddha, the Quran, the New Testament agree at some points, but at other times contradict each other, they're either all wrong or one of them's right. A and non-A cannot both be true at the same time in the same way. It's the law of non-contradiction. So Muhammad and Jesus, at times, contradict each other. So they're not both right. Would you agree with that? So who's to say which one is? Well, you're going to have to decide for yourself. I'm going to have to decide for myself. You can't force me to trust anybody, and I can't force you to trust anybody. Instead, we can appeal to each other's reason, and we can ask, what is the evidence that Muhammad spoke the truth? What is the evidence that Jesus Christ spoke the truth? What is the evidence that Siddhartha Gautama Buddha spoke the truth? And then we have to decide, hopefully, not based on blind faith, hopefully based on evidence. Since this evidence is so old, what's to say that any of it isn't just, excuse my French, like that it's not just people pushing their ideals, getting money from selling all these holy books for X amount of dollars. Yep. Very real possibility. You're right. That has occurred. So, obviously you've asked a very good question, but the problem with your question is your sincerity 
will be determined by whether you go out and put together tests to determine historicity or whether you don't. And if you sincerely meant what you just asked, it means you're going to have to, as a thinking university student, go out and put together tests that you use to determine historical reliability. Does that make sense? Okay, so what are your tests that you use to determine whether any document is historically reliable or not? Source document, you see if there are other documents supporting the source document. You can get primary and secondary source evidence. But like I said, they're so old that there's lots of things that aren't gonna be there. Yeah, that's true for every historical document. There are gonna be lots of things that are not there. Why? Because history is a partial record of what happened. The book, The Day Lincoln Was Shot, does not give us every detail of Lincoln's last day on Earth. History is a partial account of what really happened. So there are going to be gaps, yes, sir. But that doesn't mean it's not historically reliable, right? All right, so you, you raise source documents for the New Testament Gospels. That would be Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The literary style is historical narrative. Archaeology validates the place names, the names of the rulers listed in the Gospels. There are no internal contradictions. And the manuscript evidence for the New Testament Gospels is overwhelming. Today we have over 5,800 Greek manuscripts or pieces of manuscripts, all agreeing to an infinitesimal degree. So I think the evidence is the Gospels are historically reliable. And guess what? The evidence is the Quran is historically reliable. We have a very accurate Quran if you study the manuscript evidence. Now, the, the manuscript evidence for the Quran is not as strong as for the New Testament, and there's not been anywhere near the amount of academic study focused on the Quran, but the evidence is the Quran is reliable. We have carefully preserved what Muhammad taught, how he treated people. So, Read the Quran as history, it's historically accurate. Read the Gospels as historically accurate, and make your decision. Does the evidence point to Muhammad being reliable, or does the evidence point to Jesus Christ being reliable? Does that make sense? What, what do you think about Jesus Christ at this point in your life? Well, I know he was real. That's not a question. Yeah. Everybody knows that Jesus Christ was real. The real question is, was he the son of God? Yeah. Or was he just a prophet uh, speaking what he believed to be true? Right. But how can you accept that second option as a viable one in light of the fact that this prophet claimed to be God in human form? Does that not necessitate you accepting him or rejecting him as a false prophet or accepting him as God in human form. The middle ground that you've chosen, good prophet, is that really an option in light of the extreme nature of his claims? Thank you, I agree with you. The guy was either mentally out to lunch, an egomaniac, I mean, think about it. People who claim to be God in human form, we put them in mental hospitals today usually because they're so out of touch with reality. <laughs> so Jesus claimed to be God in human form. The question now is, is he a candidate for a mental hospital, or should we worship him? But the middle ground, 
a nice guy, nice teacher, nice prophet. I don't think that's an option in light of the extreme nature of his claim. Does that make sense? Thank you, sir, for raising those thoughtful issues. There's like different interpretations of what demons actually are, mm -hmm. especially in Christianity, because there's, you know, but uh, like, what do you think they actually are? Yeah. So demonic forces, we clearly get with Satan as the fallen angel. Early on in scripture, we get an understanding that he has dominion as well as soldiers fighting for him. And so in the screw tape letters, I think you get the best answer probably outside of scripture to your great question on demons and supernatural forces. What demons are, are they're not, they're not little dark figures with these you know, pitchforks, right? What demons are, they're typically invisible. Yes, I think demons could take on a physical form. Why do I think that? Because I think entertaining angels, like scripture talks about, in terms of hospitality, you know, you could have somebody in and be entertaining a, an angel. I think that angel could have a physical presence. Well, if that angel could have a physical presence, I believe a demon could have a physical presence. But whether they have a physical presence or not, in the screw tape letters, doesn't ultimately matter. What matters is how deceptive they are. And I think demonic activity is, again, not directly sending you to hell. No, it's a slow path, C.S. Lewis talks about, to hell. And that starts with what? Wormwood and screw tape. Wormwood is, the, is the, the little nephew demon, and he is listening to his uncle screw tape. And what he does is, to start, he says, his uncle says to him, you know what, little demon, Wormwood? Go and distract. Go and distract that person who's considering possibly becoming a Christian. Make sure as soon as he wakes up in the morning, he goes straight to his newspaper. So he doesn't have time to think. Make sure he is busy. I mean, C.S. Lewis, talk about being ahead of his time. We are, we, are, we are in a culture now that has never been busier. And I'm not just talking about going to class or working or anything like that. I'm talking about this right here, right here. If you have somebody always in their phone, they look at a sound bite, something anti-Christian, or that all Christians are gay bastards or something like that, they're going to automatically say, oh, pff, I'm never going to be a Christian. Christians are evil. Okay, that's exactly what demons do. They don't send you right to hell. No, they start. It's a slow, slow, descending slope to hell. And so starting there, what else does screw tape and wormwood do? Guilt. Plays off of guilt heavily. You have this level of guilt that I've done wrong, and he's going to demonize you. Makes sense, right? Play off the shame, wormwood, my junior demon. Keep playing off the shame. Make them consistently think about themselves and how they are moral failures in so many different ways. So those are the two areas. Thank you. I'm sure you're aware of, 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 of all of the, the wars that have been fought by Catholics and Protestants. Yes. And, you know, I personally am agnostic, leaning towards atheists, but I agree that it's possible for evil to exist if there is an all-powerful God. My question is, how do we restructure religion as it exists today, here on Earth, human Earth, so that religious people stop hurting other people who aren't like them? What is wrong with hurting somebody? Uh, Why is it wrong to hurt somebody? I don't know, ask Jesus. Yeah, good point. If there is no God, you define hurting people in one way, I define it in another way, a Nazi German defines it another way. A white South African during the apartheid time. Well, now, now you're starting to sound like a moral relativist. No, I'm t saying if moral relativism is true, 
Okay, so okay. But, but, but what if we agree that it isn't and that we can all kind of like agree that there's like a base, like moral, like, like, you know, that we can all get behind. It's not like, oh, who's to say if gassing Jews is wrong? Like, no, there's, there's clearly a floor here. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just I, unfortunate my, my those Nazis were is, so stupid, right? My question is, on, is, is how can we restructure religion so that religion doesn't hurt people who have different religions? Well, it's very simple. It's impossible to do that. Why? Because the real problem is not culture. The real problem is not lack of intellect. The real problem is the heart, the human heart. And that's what Jesus Christ comes to change. Where okay. I will not view another person as inferior. I understand all people are created in the image of God. I will not bash gay people or be racist. Why? Because that is evil because a human being has innate intrinsic value because they're created in the image of God. That's great for him to say, but a lot of people that I know who claim to follow his teachings don't seem to have the same worldview. Well, guess what? That's why Jesus attacked hypocrisy so intensely. And that's why John writes in 1 John, if I say I love God, who I cannot see, and hate my brother, who I can see, I am a... Hypocrite? Liar. Hypocrite. It's exactly right. And so don't be shocked out of your gourd when you meet a Christian hypocrite. There are plenty of them. And I think almost all of us here have been exposed to Christian hypocrites. You'd be an idiot to put your faith in a Christian hypocrite. Uh, I've always just wondered, like, why the serpent was allowed in the garden, and then also in Job, um, why Satan is allowed to go back to heaven and, like, yes. just talk to God even. Yeah. All right. Now, there's no biblical answer to that, where the Bible clearly says this is why God didn't wipe out Saint Lucifer when he first of all rebelled against him. I personally lean towards believing it's because God respects who he has created. And Satan's not an it. Satan is a who, a being. The same way you are not an it, I'm not an it, we are personal beings. And when God creates us as personal beings, part of what that means is he gives us free will. He creates us to love him and to love each other. And love, in order to be real, has got to be free. If it ain't free, it ain't love. It's that simple. Now, in Genesis chapter 3 we read, Now the serpent, meaning Satan, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Satan comes to tempt Eve. It's fascinating the way he tempts her. He's crafty, and he tries to question God's word. Did God really say you're not to eat of any tree? Obviously, that's false. They were allowed to eat of every tree except one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. All right, now, it's fascinating the way Eve responds. She dabbles in exaggeration. God never said you can't touch it. God did say don't eat it. But you see, what Satan has done is he's put doubt in her mind. 
And then he goes so far as to say something that contradicts God. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Flat out, Satan contradicts God. All right, so in a very real sense, what is sin? Sin is believing a lie, a lie about God. Sin comes from believing the lie, God is not good, God does not care for you, therefore you're not safe with God, you better break off on your own and create your own life, your own purpose, your own meaning, your own morality, your own destiny. So that is the lie. And all of us at some point have believed that lie. That's why we all have sinned. I wouldn't worry. I wouldn't sin if I really believed God is good and God cares for me. The reason I worry is, oh no, God might be asleep. I can't handle this on my own. Very good, Cliff, you can't handle it on your own. But you see, when you trust in the goodness of God, you don't have to worry about not being able to handle it on your own. But you see, if you separate yourself from God, then anxiety and worry make total sense. Because you're right, I can't control everything. I can't control the day of my death. I can't control if I'm gonna get cancer or not. And when I begin to realize that, I begin to realize, whoa, I need to worry. I need to be anxious. So, the Bible communicates clearly that Satan was an angel of light, rebelled against God, and God did not immediately wipe him out. But there is a day when God will throw Satan into the judgment, and Satan will be gone, dead and gone. Ultimately, why does he not do that now? I do not know. Why are you preaching about the rights and wrongs when you could just be preaching about hope? Because I was asked about right and wrong. And I take okay. people's questions seriously. And you know exactly what this group that was here before was asking me about, I think. Because you got pretty emotionally hyped up, as I did. And they were asking me about right and wrong when it came to sexuality. Okay. So they asked the question, and I'm simply here to answer people's questions. Okay. If you raise an issue, I'm going to answer it. You're simply here to answer people's questions. Why are you answering people's questions? Are you doing it to bring people closer to Jesus? Absolutely, yes. Okay. Have any of you become closer to Jesus after he answered your rights and wrongs? Like, after he asked questions about that? No. Why are you doing that instead of just preaching about what gives you hope, what gives other people hope? Because, ma'am... If you're at a university campus, you can't just believe because it feels good. You've got to ask yourself the question, what is true? What is real? Now, if in reality there is no God, I don't want to believe in God. I don't care how good this idea of God, this illusion makes me feel. Because I, as a thinking human being, am concerned about reality, truth. Okay? So, if somebody asks me, well, Cliff, why do you think God is real? One of my pieces of evidence is objective morality points to a mind prior to the human mind that creates and defines the value of justice. And that's why I'm going after my moral relativist friend saying, okay, you tell me that you're a moral relativist, but you can't live it out. Now, because you can't live it out, don't you think you better go back and ask yourself, 
is moral relativism true or is it not? And of course, Jesus Christ says, no, it's false. You've been making so many accusations that we're accusing you, that we're judging you, and then you're just like making all these assumptions that we're all moral relativists, that we all believe the same thing. And I mean, like, weren't you the one who was just condemning hypocrisy a minute ago? Oh, so I was All right, like fine. All right, it's real simple, ma'am. I accused a man out here of being judgmental because after I said to you all, I was speaking at the University of Arizona and a guy raised his hand and said, I support date rape and I have date raped. And he said, Cliff, you're lying. That guy never said that. And I said, you are one judgmental rascal. This was years ago at the University of Arizona in Tucson, Arizona. You were not there, I was. And you're making an incredibly judgmental statement. So I was speaking. Did you just see what happened? Do you think your cameras would fit through the eye of a needle? What do you think? No. I think it would be easier for a rich man fitting his camels through the eye of a needle than for you to make it to heaven. So I'm going to hell because I have cameras out here? Do you think Jesus had a production team? He had people who wrote You're about involved him. involved in vanity. All of this is your weird sense of vanity. You're only here to make yourself feel good. This is not about religion. This is not about Christ. This is about you. Hence why the cameras are pointed at you. Okay, now, is that being judgmental? Is that being the judgmental? Question, and that would make it a lot less judgmental. Is that being judgmental? You could answer the question. That might make it I started to, and you interrupted me. You're asking somebody If else. you want to have an answer, I'll give you one. But if you're going to interrupt me, I'm going to go on I'm to somebody else. Look at me and give me an answer. Did All right. Jesus have a production team? Yes. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote down. Write it down. You're interrupting me again, sir. And I'm going to go on to somebody else if you keep interrupting. Do you want an answer or not? Continue with your vanity. Just understand that you're not here for Christ. You, you are see here how for judgmental yourself. he's being. Incredibly judgmental. <laughs> Pardon? That doesn't mean you haven't been judgmental here, too. No, ma'am, I have not done that. I have made a statement about atheism that if there is no God, morality is relative. Okay? I would argue that accountability, taking accountability, makes others want to be around you. And I would argue that we learn accountability through that. Yeah, but it's cultural. Is it? Totally. I think everyone feels guilty and there's this question of, okay, I'm going to take accountability for it. So how do you go into certain societies, certain cultures, and say the one-child policy is wrong and people should be held accountable for it, and when you go there, certain people saying to you, whoa, you as a redhead, me as a redhead, you as a white woman, Western, coming to our culture saying this is wrong and trying to hold us accountable, that's just ethnocentric of you. What's your why response I, to them? Why would I... Why would I ever bash on their exactly. culture? Exactly. So you wouldn't hold I them accountable. Wouldn't. So it's just fine that they're doing that. That's One child policy is just fine. That's their prerogative. That's their prerogative. So it's okay. I assume that that law. But no, I think if you were honest, you would go there and say, "No, there's a law above their law. That's just social contractual." And you would say, "No, that's law." There's law, and there's, it's wrong, and so let's have a conversation. Let me tell you why this is wrong. I bet there's a reason for that law that I don't quite fully understand. Yeah? Yeah, but... There's a reason for the law of them with the one-child policy? Is that what you're saying? So it's okay. You see how that's relativism? That's moral relativism. And I would say to you, I don't think you live that out in your personal experience. 
I really don't. I think you would go there and you would say, no, this is objectively wrong. You should not be doing this, even though your culture says to do it. If you're honest, you would do that. See, it's just like this, this atheist, she's an incredible op-ed writer for the New York Times. She said, I'm gonna go down to Africa, the specific village in Africa, and I'm gonna fight against honor killings. And I'm gonna fight against genital mutilation. She got there and she was fighting against it, but then came back to the West, New York City, and was disillusioned because she started to realize these people were telling me it's not wrong to do honor killings. It helps our society, it helps us flourish. So she had no response. And what did she do? She ended up, and I think you should say this if you're an atheist, she ended up just saying morality is just a brute fact. It just exists. Yes, there's morality above culture, above our own personal, your truth is my truth, but let's just say it's a brute fact. I'd like to invite you to Grace Community Church, located at 365 Lukeswood Road in New Canaan, Connecticut. Our services are at 9.30 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. on Sundays. Hope you can join us. Hello everyone, welcome back to Next Generation Saints, I'm your host Nick Coons. I hope you really enjoyed this broadcast from Give Me an Answer. God loved the world in this way he gave his only son. Hope it encouraged you in your faith. If you have a chance, let's talk some more about this. I'd like you to go ahead and reach out to me on nextgenerationsaints at gmail.com. It's my direct uh, line for this studio. So, how is your faith doing? Is it growing stronger? What are you struggling with? What are you having a hard time with? You know, why do you believe what you believe in when it comes down to Jesus? And on top of that, if you don't believe in Jesus, okay, that's fair enough. Why don't you? What what do you, evidence do you need? What do you need in order to believe in Jesus? So I want you to ponder on those things. Again, um, as we close up here, I want you guys to all remember to go ahead and like and subscribe to this podcast. It goes really a lot f- very far in helping out with this ministry. And if you haven't had a chance to, go take a look over Coon's t-shirts on Etsy. And it also helps out. It's my merch shop. So, until next time, we meet again. May God richly bless y'all, my dearly beloved. <laughs>